Well, good morning. Good to see you all again. Wow. We're going to have to get a new venue soon. My goodness. Pray also it's an air-conditioned venue. <laughs> I want to share this morning on uh, an aspect that has been very close to my heart. It's an aspect of marriage. My word, I think. You know, I was thinking about this. 80% of the counseling that Emmett and I do is marriage. Talking about marriage. And, you know, when you've got two individuals from different frames of reference, different backgrounds, uh, coming together in a marriage, there's going to be trouble. <laughs> Emmett was an only child. Spoiled, rotten by her dad. She could do no wrong in his eyes. <laughs> you know what comes after that. Eh? <laughs> and I was the only child for seven years. And then my younger brother and sister came. And when they came, they were the be and the end all. And I was kind of just had to fight for my place in the family after seven years of being the only child. So, you know. You had two selfish individuals that come together. It results in a fun, fire-packed marriage. <laughs> so, you know, you ask a woman to describe the perfect man and the perfect husband, they'll end up describing another woman. So the disciples were having a conversation with Jesus and Jesus was talking to them about marriage. And the disciples came to the conclusion, and this is what they said in Matthew 19 and verse 10, it is not good for a man, it is, it is good for a man not to marry. It's good for a man not to marry. Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 28. He says, he who marries will have trouble in this life. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> you, you, you're going to have trouble. You see, these verses are not read during wedding <laughs> services. <laughs> A person came to the pastor one day and said, Pastor, I've got trouble in my marriage. Yeah, that's about right. That's about right. You've got trouble. Now, I want to show you something in the scriptures. It's not very theological, but you'll get what I mean. Let's look at Proverbs 14 and verse 4. This is a very interesting verse. Proverbs comes from Solomon, full of wisdom. He says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come from the strength of the ox. Some other translations say the manger is clean when there's no ox. So what, what, what does that mean? Listen, if you want the strength of an ox, you can't have a clean manger or a clean stable. They don't go together. If you want a clean stable, don't have an ox. Because there is this thing called ox poo. 
but you have the strength of an ox, there's going to be ox poo. The same thing exists in marriage. You want the strength of another person, another partner? <laughs> Two friends talking with one another, and the one guy was griping about his home situation. He said, you wouldn't believe what I have to go through with my wife. He says, when I'm out with friends, I have to do everything under the sun to not wake her up. First, when I come home, I kill the engine a block away, and I glide down the road and into the garage. Then I open the back door very carefully. I take off my shoes. I creep up the stairs. I slide into bed, and then she always wakes up and gives me grief. The other guy says, I do just the opposite. When I go home, I make a credible racket. You do? Yeah. I'm a block away. I start hooting the hooter. <laughs> I go into the garage. I go into the back door. I slam the door. I stomp up the stairs. I don't take my shoes off. And then I go over to her and I give her a great big kiss. And what does she do? No, I say to her, how about a little smooch for the old man? What does she say? She says nothing. She pretends she's sleeping. <laughs> Socrates, the great Greek philosopher, said this, by all means marry. If you get a good wife, you'll become very happy. If you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher, and that's also good. <laughs> so marriage is in terrible, terrible situations. Here in South Africa, we got a very high divorce rate, incredibly high. I mean, marriages are ending. Divorce is on the go. You know, when I, when I read the Ten Commandments, I see out of the Ten Commandments, four are vertical. Four are about our relationship with God. And six are about our relationship with one another. And that's the same with marriage. We have to concentrate and figure out our relationship with one another. John Maxwell says, the best thing about church life are the people. The worst thing about the church life are the people. You know, if you're looking for the perfect church, those guys that are visiting with us this morning, if you're looking for the perfect church, please don't join it because you'll ruin it. <laughs> this is not a perfect church. This is not. We, just, we are filled with a whole lot of people that are broken and trying to serve God. I wanted to say, just while I'm thinking about this off the top of my head, I mean, Albert, you, the lead worship fantastically this morning. It's so good to have you back, really. <laughs> But, but we realized that we needed to take him out of this because in, in, in our church, we, we absolutely insist that the person is more important than the ministry. The person is more important than the ministry. And so now you've come back, you've healed up, you've been blessed. I mean, yeah, I, I look forward to what God is going to do uh, in your life. Now, getting back to marriage. David Mace. <laughs> David Mace was, was a, a kind of authority on marriage in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. 
many years before many of you were born. But, but David May says, you know, when you get married, you kind of inherit this house. And this house is this wonderful place where there are many rooms and you go through this house hoping to enjoy all the rooms uh, and will uh, help you find many activities that you would enjoy together. But you know, when you are unable to resolve areas of conflict in your marriage, those doors are locked and you can't get in. And so more and more marriages are confined to different areas, only certain areas. You can't go into those areas and enjoy the full capacity of what you've inherited. So it's absolutely essential that we learn how to relate and deal with one another. So conflict is unavoidable. As intimacy grows, conflict is going to be the nature of the beast that comes your way. But let's describe conflict. Hmm? How do you handle conflict? Is it warfare? Is it a battlefield? Doesn't need to be. I think we need to learn how to disagree agreeably and to fight fair. You cannot hide it. You cannot ignore it. You cannot just cope with it. You have to resolve it. You have to resolve it. You have to work out a plan. And there are these two individuals that need to come together and work at their relationship. Two friends were together. They were talking. One friend says, I just got married. Said, That's good. It's not so good because my wife's very ugly. Oh, that's bad. It's not so bad because she's very rich. Well, that's good. That's really good. It's not, not so good because she's very mean. Oh, that's bad. That's not so bad because we've got a big house in the country. That's good. That's not so good because the house burned down. Oh, that's terrible. No, it's not so terrible because she was in it. <laughs> what is conflict? You know, Proverbs 27 and verse 17 says, that, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need to resolve our conflict. You see, if you've got children, the way you deal with one another is so, so important about how they're going to view God and their ongoing Christian life. It's so imperative. We work on our marriage. We resolve conflict in the best possible way so that we can bless our children. When they see ongoing tension between mom and dad, where they see ongoing conflict and fighting and drama and shouting and duh, it's going to affect their spiritual lives. The foundation of marriage has to be, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to defend this union no matter what. I'm going to defend our happiness. Every loose or broken thread, I'm going to tie up. I'm going to reconstruct untiringly, faithfully, each part of a broken wall. 
I'm never going to give up. And we're going to have to learn how to fight fair. So today, I want to talk to the men. You're going to be sorry, guys, that you came to the service this morning. <laughs> but hold tight. I'm going to get to the woman next. But right now, today, I want to talk to the men and your responsibilities. So, let's go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. Hey, that would be great, eh? If it was just husbands, love your wife. Paul said that in Ephesians 2. Husbands, love your wife as Jesus loved the church. Husbands, love your wife. Oh, and do not be harsh with them. Some other translations say, do not be resentful towards her. Do not abuse her. Do not be embittered against her. Don't be angry with her. You see, God never wastes words in his word. He wanted us to really come to terms with the way in which we treat our wives. He knows that men struggle with this situation. We can be very angry at times. And we need to love our wives as Jesus loved the church. So Colossians chapter 3 is challenging for each one of us. Love your wife. Don't be embittered towards her. Don't be harsh towards her. Don't be resentful. Don't abuse her. And don't hold hard feelings against her. See, God is telling us that this is the problem. It's easy for us to become angry with our wives. It's easy for us to become angry against them. We take them for granted. We're mean. We're horrible. Let's look at the next verse. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you and the gracious gift of life. Now here comes the cruncher. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. You have an argument with your wife. You skin her out. You give her a stick. Not literally a stick, but I mean you give it. And she ends up in tears. And then you go and pray. You can't. You can't. She deserves that dumb woman. And you sit down. Are you able to commune with God? You can't. The Bible is right. It will hinder our prayers. Love your wife. Treat and respect her as the weaker vessel. Honor her as the gracious gift of life. Once again, you see, we see here most of the New Testament. The bulk of the New Testament deals with our horizontal relationships. There's much less stuff about our vertical relationship with God. Most of it is about our horizontal relationship. And we need to treat our wives and our family with respect. Medlin and I have planted six churches and seen to two others. And so we have a lot to do with guys that do church planting. And the one day we had a conversation with a family 
he couldn't get to build his church over 40 people. He was struggling. And so we sat down and we started talking and I had the normal standard response answers and stuff. And then the wife broke down and she started to declare some of the stuff that was going on. She had to work. She hated her job. She was slaving away in order to support them because the church, as small as it was, wasn't covering all their expenses. People were in and out of their house all the time. She said, I'm losing my husband. And I'm miserable. It's sapping my joy, sapping my love for God from my life and sapping my respect for him. So, you know, at 63, or I wasn't, I wasn't six, 63 then, I was probably late 50s. After many years of ministry, you kind of can be a little bit direct with people. And I said to him, you know, both of you are good looking, a good-looking couple. You're an eloquent, hip young man. You can teach the Bible, but you are a Jesus-loving wimp. You see, when we cannot lead our wives properly, you can't expect to lead God's people. You know, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that the wife is the glory of the man. It's like, if I can use an analogy, it's like the sun on the moon. When those guys from Apollo 11 came back and they had a piece of rock from the moon, it looked like a dull piece of brown rock, but it has a very highly reflective substance in it. So that when the sun shines on it, it reflects. And a wife is the reflection. I never give an assessment of a man or a husband until I've met the wife. And only when I get, the, get to meet the wife, when a meddler and I chat to her and talk things through with them, do, do we realize what's going on in their rela- relationship and how good a leader he is. You cannot lead your wife properly and lead God's people in the same way. It's just impossible. So we have to deal with this couple and move them on and hopefully they will be able to build a wonderful, wonderful church one day. So, there are 25 qualities in a leader. And I want to just take some of them and talk about them in terms of us being good, solid husbands. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1, it describes an elder. And so, in those two chapters, there are 25 characteristics like... Above reproach, husband of one wife, temperate, not addicted to wine, free from the love of money, self-controlled, able to teach. Those are some of them. And out of those 25 qualities, most of those goes back to one characteristic in man. What is that one characteristic? When men get together, sometimes they share, you know, I've got this sexual temptation all the time. You know, men have got this permanent growl that goes on with all the testosterone that's pumping through their systems. And we're just sexually geared and wide. But it's not. It's not, it's not regarding sexual intrigue or thoughts or anything. Only one of those 25 characteristics has got to do with the husband of one wife. What is the characteristic 
that is repeated five times. It's anger. It's anger. And I find that absolutely fascinating when I deal with a situation. The one category that is repeated more often than not is that of anger. Five out of the 25 has to be temperate, has to be self-controlled, have good reputation, loving what is good. It's not sex. It's anger. And when you make an assessment of the couple and you meet the wife, you can quickly see this is a good relationship. This is a solid relationship. Or, gosh, a husband is a bully. Wife is down, looking down, shoulders over. So, let's get back to the characteristics. First one, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 7. Let's just look at that one. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing. Not overbearing. Let's stop there. Not overbearing. Not self-pleasing. Obstinate. Pushy. I'm going to have my way come hell or high water. Hmm. Demanding, critical, defiant, easily aggravated, disrespectful, disrespectful to others. I'm going to have my way. He's not a team player. I was chatting to Skulk today and he reminded me there's no I in team. He's right. Doesn't care about anybody else. Ah, if somebody gets hurt, that's part of the game. Can't make a good omelette and not break some shells. Let's move on. Overbearing. Husbands, don't be overbearing. Not quarrelsome is the second one. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 3. There's a strange silence in this place this morning. Uh, the wives are the only ones that are laughing. <laughs> Not given to drunkenness. There's two types of drunkenness where guys, every single day, they have to drink something. Or else they go sometimes for weeks and then they just binge. And they become like absolute idiots. And the wife is so totally embarrassed by their behavior. Not given to drunkenness. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. Not quarrelsome. He's a brawler. There's an English word that says pugnacious. With a little pug dog's come from that pugnacious. I mean, they, their nose is flat. You can hear them breathing on the other side of the house. You, <laughs> uh, you, you, you look at a boxer, an old boxer. He's got a broken nose. It's probably been broken 50 times from being hit in the face so many times. I mean, that's, that's just a brawler, you know, just like, I'm going to hit but you. I don't care, you know. And that's, that's what uh, um, Paul is talking about. Don't be quarrelsome. Don't be competitive. They love to pick fights, these guys. Proverbs 20 and verse 3 says, It is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. What did you say to me? Wife, what did you say to me? <laughs> Medlin and I, you know, I've been married 30, going on 38 years, and it's, we've had to work on stuff. So the latest 
now with my wife is that, Stuki, you're driving me up the wall. And then, and then she huffs and puffs. You know, I know that she's irritated, so I just bolt down the hatches and wait for the storm to pass. You know, she, I, I, I didn't know that she had such a large lung capacity. So. Oh boy, I better watch out here. <laughs> she was huffing and puffing like a buffalo. So I, I needed to go out. And uh, one of the girls came back. Hi, Dad. How are you? Where's Mom? Oh, halfway up the wall, huffing and puffing like a buffalo. <laughs> Not quarrelsome. Not quick-tempered is the next one. Let's go back to Titus chapter 1 and verse 7. Entrusted with God's work, you must be blameless, not overbearing. Not quick-tempered. What, what are you saying to me? And you can go from zero, you can be calm, to a place where you're totally wound up in a second. Not quick-tempered. Not hot-tempered. Quickly moved to wrath. Proverbs 29 and verse 22 says, An angry man stirs up dissension, but a hot-tempered man commits many sins. Boy, when we are raging with anger, we do some stupid, stupid, stupid things. Look, we don't want leaders who are always smiling and living in Disney World and think that every single day is Christmas. We want guys who sometimes do get angry. Paul says, get angry, but don't let the sun go down in your anger. Jesus got angry when he saw the injustice and what was going on in the temple and the money changes and sorted them out. But just to be so quick-tempered and to go into an absolute frenzy is not a good thing. Not violent. Not a striker. Both passages, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, 7, also speaks about this. Both speak about this. Not assertive, not manipulative, not demanding, coercive, highly critical of others. Don't ever, ever grab your wife, push her. Guys, don't do that. And then gentle. And then gentle. There are many nuances to that thing here about being gentle. To protect. As to not humiliate. To guard another person's dignity. To save somebody else's pride. Matthew Arnold says, gentleness is a sweet reasonableness. A sweet reasonableness. Best, best demonstrated when you are with unreasonable people. You see, if you meet their emotion, if you meet their negative energy output, if you stand up, it's not going to end well. But a gentleness is sitting back and listening. Had a situation just recently where somebody started to unravel. Boom, 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 boom. Just listened. Took notes, said, I think and pray about it, went off. Didn't want to respond to that negative energy. 
And that's what gentleness is all about. It's easy to be gentle when things are going good. Everybody is happy. Everybody is joyful. But when there are crocodiles in the pool with you, and it's a murky pool, and you're struggling, meeting time demands, gentleness is the thing. Gentleness and meekness go together. Why did Paul give so much time and energy to this thing about men being angry? Well, I think because he struggled with it. We see in Acts chapter 15, they just come back from their first missionary journey with Barnabas. Barnabas is, uh, I think, nephew, um, John Mark, wanted to abandon the trip. He, he was homesick. He wanted mom's cooking. Being on a missionary journey in the first century wasn't great. wasn't a great deal. And Paul was really cross with him. So on the second missionary journey, Barnabas wanted John Mark to come with. And Paul said, absolutely not. And he stuck to his guns there. And they had to part company. Later on, I think in the third missionary journey, they got together and Mark was with them. They had settled their differences. But Paul was very angry with John Mark. Very angry. And he had to deal with his anger. And that's why he wrote so much. He was an A-type personality. He was driven. He was demanding. He demanded much from himself and from others as well. But he was a great missionary. He was the greatest missionary that ever was. Went off into Asia Minor, into Greece, into Rome, and preached the gospel. Had a tremendous expectation of himself and others. But we like people like that. We like the champions. We don't like the laid-back dudes. That's why we watch movies like Die Hard and Braveheart and James Bond. I don't know if any of you have watched James Bond. That's why we cheer for our rugby side. It just has got such a vicious scrum set. No one can touch our scrum. And when that scrum moves forward, it's just a bunch of guys with their heads down, pushing forward. And we sort the other side out, regardless of how big they are. Yes! Penalty. Yes! You're going to score three points. Don't miss that penalty. We love champions. We don't like the guys, the gentle guys, who are at home cooking food and changing diapers. We want John Wayne. And Clint Eastwood. I'm, I watched a couple of Clint Eastwood movies recently. Yes, they are so slow. <laughs> Two guys are watching one another. I mean, that, that, that showdown in the middle of the street, you know, the hands are twitching, the eyes are looking, the hands are twitching some more, they throw back the cup. I mean, come on, shoot one another, get on with it, you know. <laughs> My word. But we like guys like John Wayne, we don't like guys like Homer Simpson. I mean, he's just a palooka anyway. <laughs> we have to, guys, we have to 
stop our anger and treat our wives as they deserve. I love prayer meetings on a Friday morning with our guys. You kind of get their personality as we share together, together in elders' meetings and leaders' meetings. We kind of get what they're going to pray. We get what they're going to say. Kind of anticipate stuff. Love. I mean, I've been part of this for years. But I remember one particular prayer meeting that we had. There was a guy that was praying. And as he prayed, he said this, Lord, sometimes I'm so tough and so hard on those closest to me. Hello? Why is that? This is, this is a wife, a husband, that we have committed our lives to, that we've covenanted to. But we're so tough on them. We're tough on our children. We're tough on our brothers and our sisters. Why are we so tough on one another? We criticize mercilessly. We blow small things out of proportion. We make mountains out of molehills. And we quickly condemn those who disappoint us. We take pleasure in bossing people around us. Why? Always remember that quote. The emptier the kettle, the faster it boils. That's why the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And it's talking about relationships in Ephesians 5. So, I'm going to suggest something. When you're going home now, or wherever you're going, wherever you're going, I want the husband to take the initiative. And I want the wife to say, Sweetie, what did you think of Richard's sermon? <laughs> you might have a negative response. I want the husband to take the initiative. I want to talk to you about Richard's sermon. I want to apologize for the times that I've been angry. For speaking down to you. For speaking harshly to you. I want to apologize to you. Please forgive me. <laughs> A few months ago, Scott stood up here and says, there's one thing you say almost every day. I'm sorry. Ne? Please forgive me. I'm asking you to do it today, guys. Don't wait for your wife to look at you, for her attitude to say to you, and so? <laughs> and if your wife is not with you, tell her what I preached and take the initiative. Be a leader. Be the leader. I'm so grateful to the Lord that he came. The first words when he was on the cross that came out of his mouth, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. I'm so glad that he said that. I mean, these were guys that were mocking him, that were willing to kill him to achieve their own ends. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And in doing that, 
He came to reveal his love for us. He came to reveal how we should live and how we should die. And maybe we need to say to our wives, sweetie, forgive us. Strange silence this morning, my word. Bless you guys.